Production support for Earth Eats comes from Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at bloomingfoods.coop. And Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. This week, as promised, we are checking in with Muddy Fork Bakery and One World Enterprises for more perspectives on local food during a global pandemic. And Josephine McRobbie has a story on how Slow Food USA is getting their message out. Stay with us. Whether it's worrying about vulnerabilities in our national food supply or wondering if we should start baking sourdough, some of us might be thinking about food more than ever. The goals of Slow Food USA, a grassroots organization focused on food justice for all, couldn't be more timely. Earth Eats producer Josephine McRobbie spoke with Slow Food USA Executive Director Anna Muley. My name is Anna Muley. I'm the Executive Director of Slow Food USA. We're based in Brooklyn, but we have local chapters throughout the United States and our headquarters is in Italy. Yeah, the word of the month is pivot. The word of the season is pivot. The grassroots nonprofit Slow Food USA operates in 160 countries around the world with a USA wing that's home to over 150 local chapters. Members include farmers, fishers, teachers, chefs, activists, and scientists all around the country, all devoted to a goal of good, clean, and fair food for all. A lot of our work revolves around gatherings, bringing people together, meeting in person, enjoying food together, and really you know, learning about the whole chain from farm to fork through food, but also enjoying the taste of food as well. In the wake of COVID-19, Slow Food USA has had to find new ways for members to connect. All our well-thought-out strategies don't work anymore, so it's a matter of being really flexible, being really nimble, and just trying new things to see what, what really works and what is most effective to respond to the needs of the community. So this is a really nice frame. What you're seeing along the top is all completely capped nectar that's been turned into honey already. This is stores, reserves for all the baby bees that are going to be born. Beekeeper Jennifer Holmes is showing off her bee frames from her backyard in Stewart, Florida. She's presenting as part of Slow Food Live, a Zoom-based Skillshare program that covers topics like gardening and cooking. The cells that are empty on the left may contain eggs and younger So our first one about sourdough. We had over 500 people register for that one and it's gotten thousands of views online now. You know, we had a session about Japanese curry bricks. How do you make Japanese curry bricks? Um, These things that people wouldn't have time for before, but now they find themselves at home and eager to experiment. In high seas, I'm gonna be your friend. I'm gonna be your friend. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you. That Thank you so much. Wonderful. What a great way to start this off. Uh, hello, everyone, and thanks for joining the second installment of the Slow Fish. So, Slow Fish was one of the events that got canceled. And we just heard from Melanie Brown, who's a dear friend, a colleague, and the person who taught me how to pick sockeye out of a set net in Naknek, Alaska last summer. Slow Fish is an amazing international group of people who come together around sustainable fishing. And our Slow Fish event in New Hampshire was going to bring together indigenous fish harvesters, small scale producers, you know, everyone who is in the in the chain of um Just please of fishing. remember that part of the safety of this forum, aside from the guaranteed distancing of at least the length of a mature sturgeon, means that all comments should be thoughtful and respectful. So let's jump in and get ready. In gatherings that were moved to webinars, the Slow Fish members shared the strategies, frustrations, and successes of a changing food economy. Anna has seen this kind of activity throughout the organization's chapters and groups. Needs on the ground are so different. So for example, some ranchers used to sell primarily to restaurants and to airports and to like large scale food distribution platforms. And now they're struggling because they're, you know, they're trying to pivot to online sales to direct to consumer. If they're able to pivot that way, they've seen a really amazing response. You know, people are eager and ready to buy online but they don't necessarily have the technologies and the processes set in place to, to do that quickly and effectively. So they need to, you know, they're working overtime, they're working around the clock to fulfill these online sales. Not every food producer is able to set up an online store, delivery protocol, and customer management system on their own. So Slow Food East Bay, for example, is establishing like a food hub at a central farm where these small scale producers can drop off their goods and then they and partners will manage all the logistics of getting that to you know low income communities who need food right now or to you know organizing a drive by pickup kind of situation i think it's all about logistics right now We believe delicious food is a right. It's not like just a nice thing to have. It's something that every everyone should have access to. The slow food movement started in the 1980s in Rome during a protest of a planned McDonald's on the Spanish steppes. Its mission seems increasingly difficult to reach. And now the cracks seem even more visible as members work for fair and good food for all. I mean, this is what happens in pandemics, right? That vulnerable communities are especially affected because they were already at a disadvantage. Slow Food USA is concerned that these inequalities will intensify if policy decisions leave out people like their members. And so they've worked to step up fundraising and advocacy efforts. We're looking especially to make sure that small scale family farmers and ranchers, community based fishers are not overlooked in things like the CARES Act. Our worry in all of this is that you know, there's a limited amount of funding and we don't want big ag to win. We want funds to go to the small scale family farmers, the folks who are really active players in the local communities and making sure that those communities 
are getting healthy food. Like all of us, Anna and her colleagues are searching for meaning as the weeks wear on. You know, I think this moment, we all want answers on when this is going to end. And I also want answers, but I think we can also lean into this moment a little bit. And I think this is a moment to develop some new habits that focus on a really healthy and robust food economy. And how can we, how can we hold on to those um, as, as the uh, pandemic slows down? I think that's the message of slow food is we really want to help people understand those values of living slow, of understanding where your food comes from, and hang on to those. That story comes to us from producer Josephine McRobbie. Last week, we featured a number of local food businesses to talk about how they've responded to the COVID-19 restrictions. This week, we're continuing with those stories. I spoke with Jeff Meese a couple of weeks ago. I'm Jeff Meese. I'm the founder and CEO of One World Enterprises, kind of a family of food and beverage operations, Pizza X, Lenny's, Bloomington Brewing Company, Hive, One World Catering, One World Kitchen Share and Commissary, where we are now and a small farm called Loche Farm. From a distance of six feet apart, we talked about the state of One World's operations. The sit-down restaurants Lenny's and Hive plus One World Catering have shut down. Hive, their newest establishment, tried switching to takeout at first. So in the case of Hive, we kind of shrunk it all down to the core of our menu, which was a few sandwiches and the chicken stuff that we do. You know, people love the chicken, do this great roasted Miller Farms chicken and some sides. That's sort of what we focused on. And we had a remarkable few weeks before we closed because we were still doing pretty darn good sales with shortened hours and a much smaller menu. But even Hive eventually had to close. Hive is totally shut down. Yeah, because here's what happened. We had an employee who got hospitalized with uh, the virus, and it sort of freaked us all out. Meese said that the employee was put on a ventilator for more than two weeks. But when we spoke, Meese said that the employee had recovered and had been released from the hospital. Meese said a few other employees got sick, but they weren't tested for the coronavirus, and none of them were hospitalized. So, but thankfully, he's getting better, and we haven't lost anybody, so. The restaurants remain closed, and the employees are furloughed. But Pizza X is a takeout and delivery model, and it's full steam ahead. Pizza X is mostly fine. I mean, what drives Pizza X is the campus location. That's one of the busiest pizza places in the country, probably, when they're peaking. I mean, it just a, it is a rocker. The thing is a monster at 2 o'clock in the morning. But it ain't no 2 o'clock. We're not even open at 2 o'clock in the morning now. So when IU is gone, that store is Deadsville. I mean, it doesn't even do what are anywhere near what our other little stores do. The residential stores are doing well, like normal school year well. So that's a blessing. Uh, but the campus store, which really usually, they don't make much money, the residential stores, really. I mean, the campus store is what drives the whole thing. When the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, rolled out, One World Enterprises applied, and they were one of the lucky businesses who received funding. Actually, we didn't even know we were getting it. We got it at the last minute. 
The PPP loans are forgivable if a certain percentage is spent on payroll. Jeff Meese decided to bump up the pay of all Pizza X employees, the ones who have continued to work through the pandemic restrictions. They will all earn 75% more than their usual pay for three months. I suggested it could be considered hazard pay. Absolutely, it's a hazard pay. That's right. Another reason to do it. Yeah, we're we're taking care of customers. They're working together. I mean, you can't always stay six feet away from people on a pizza line. I mean, we're doing our best. You know, you get this phone and you get that phone and, you know, those your phone for the night. We're doing as many things as we can, but it's still more risky than sitting at home. They use a no-contact delivery system where the driver leaves the pizza on the porch rather than handing it to the customer. And now Pizza X customers can also order cookies from a local business called Baked. Pizza X and the Bloomington Cookie Company partnered as Baked was struggling to stay open once the IU campus closed. They're very student-oriented. They're like our campus store, where their business in the summertime drops off 70-80%. Baked does generally do a lot of delivery. They're still mostly student-driven. The larger Bloomington community doesn't know their brand like they know our brand. So the idea was we're going to use their ovens because our ovens are busy with pizza and they're set to make pizza. But, but they're like, well, we got these ovens we're not using. We could bring them over into your stores. Like, okay, we'll use your ovens, buy your dough. Your people could come train our people, but these, this can't happen overnight. And we said, well, okay, when, when do you want to shut down? They said, we should shut down on a Saturday night. Like, okay, so what'd be a, if we had a week, what's the next Monday? Oh, looked on the calendar, oh, it's 420. Oh, how perfect that could be. 420 is code in certain subcultures for marijuana use, and the cookie company's name also plays with the reference. And so we decide that's the night we're going to say, you know, call Pizza X and you can get baked and all these fun little playful ways to play that. And we thought it would be busy, but wow, it was crazy. And all, you know, their people were in our stores, thank God, because it would have been a disaster. I was I worked till 11 o'clock. I, I was running cookie dough hither and yawn and pizza dough hither and yawn and folding boxes and all that, and it was super fun. This week, according to their Facebook page, Baked reopened with limited online ordering and delivery. Their cookies are also still available through Pizza X. One of the things that Jeff Meese started in the first weeks of restaurant shutdowns continues today. He calls it the One World Family Meal Project. It started as a way to clear out perishable inventory from shuttered restaurants and to help their staff who had suddenly lost employment. It quickly expanded to assist folks from other restaurants and bars in the area, and Mies started collecting donations from other restaurants and his own suppliers. It won't cost us very much. We're really efficient. We have the kitchen. We've got a few people still on staff. We could just do that. It's not expensive. And I just thought if we did that, restaurants would probably donate us inventory and stuff, and they don't have to do it themselves because we got a big kitchen. We could just do it. And the people that just go to One World and they'll feed you. So that's how we started. We can't tell people what we're going to be making, but we can let them choose between a vegan or an omnivore meal or a gluten-free meal. And they just choose that. And then we know how many we got to make and we make them and, and then they can get however many they want for their family. So that was, that was the model, and it's worked, it's worked great. We're just going to keep doing it until there's not a need to do it. For nine weeks, they've been providing no-cost meals available for pickup at One World Catering's Woolery Mill in southwest Bloomington. On Jeff Meese's Facebook page this week, he states that the meals are made possible by volunteer labor from One World Catering staff who prepare the meals 
five days a week. Jeff Meese is full of ideas. It seems the global pandemic and its local implications have sparked a wave of initiatives and innovation. Check out our website for links and information on everything going on at One World Enterprises, eartheats.org. Production support comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. Insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected, more at BillRushInsurance.com and Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at BloomingFoods.coop. Door handles, light switches, music knobs, fridge handles six to ten times a day get bleached. Eric Shedler of Muddy Fork Bakery will be a familiar voice to our regular listeners. Though it's a bit muffled this time since he's talking through a cloth face mask. I spoke with him from a safe distance at his bakery in rural southern Indiana. Eric has shared recipes with us for pita bread, pizza, challah, and pretzels. Our conversation this week is focused on changes in their business model in response to COVID-19 restrictions. Muddy Fork Bakery makes sourdough breads with freshly milled flour, as well as croissants, pretzels, granola, and other goodies. And they make most of their sales at area farmers markets. They also sell some bread at Blooming Foods, a co-op grocery in town. They bake in a wood-fired oven, which determines the schedule of their baking. They fire the oven on Thursday, bake on Friday for Saturday markets, and continue to use the oven as it slowly cools for lower temp products like granola. The first week that the winter market closed, back in March, they were scrambling. We didn't have a really clear plan, and I think we didn't anticipate how suddenly everything would just stop. That first week, we just made a bunch of bread for Blooming Foods and basically a lot less than we normally would have. And then there was a crowd of people waiting for us to bring it to the store, which was not socially distanced at all like a line of people inside the store in the bread aisle waiting for our delivery. So within a week, we had set up an online store through Square, which is our credit card processing already. It's been surprising to me how quickly customers just switched over to, oh, I'm going to just order my stuff on Muddy Fork's website, and I'm going to do it by Wednesday for a Saturday, what I want to eat on Saturday. And that's a really big mental shift when you're used to just walking by and grabbing whatever looks good <laughs> to having to plan three or four days ahead. And then we've been participating in the winter market drive through and the community market drive through options as well. The Bloomington Community Farmers Market, where Muddy Fork has been selling for a decade, has switched to online ordering and drive through pickup. Muddy Fork is still participating, but more of their business is coming through their own online store totally new thing that we've never done before. So we're offering home delivery for a $25 minimum order and bakery pickup for people who want to come or people who aren't ordering $25 or people who don't live in the city 
we're trying to keep our delivery routes somewhat compact. We have been having like 70-ish home deliveries every Saturday for the past few weeks. People love home delivery. <laughs> you know, especially people who are more vulnerable or more more fearful. They don't have to leave and yeah. and have another point of contact with anybody. And Eric says business is good. Yeah, it's amazingly stable. I was really worried for a couple of weeks, but after the first two weeks, our orders are strong as they would normally be. It's a, the, the mix of products is a little different. There's more bread and a lot, tons more flour than I've ever milled for customers before, which has to do with the supply chain issues with flour. I was reading 95% of flour that gets used normally gets used through food service and only 5% is packaged for retail. And the, the demand is completely flipped right now because so many restaurants are shut down, food service places are shut down and people are baking at home. While I couldn't find a source to back up those exact numbers, it is true that demand for many products, including flour, has shifted dramatically from wholesale to retail. Industrial supply chain doesn't easily flip from 50-pound bags to 5-pound bags. So a lot of people have been asking for flour. You being a small business and working with small growers, we work mostly directly with a grower in Illinois from almost all our grains. And so that's easy for us to flip, you know, what we're doing, whereas the, the industrial chain will take a while to catch up. We work with Janie's Farm and Janie's Mill in Illinois, and we get more grain than flour from them. So we mill all of our whole grain flours. They do make a sifted or bolted wheat flour that we use, where you, a lot of people would use a white flour. And they mill everything. They have a big mill, and they sell a lot. I think they sell more flour than grain in general. And their mail order business I think they told me it went up about 3,000%, and they're working around the clock to try to keep up. Next week, we'll be talking with folks from Janie's Farm and Mill to hear more about what the dramatic shift in demand has meant for their business. Eric is grateful that he's been able to keep his bakery going through the COVID-19 restrictions. And I'm just really glad to be able to keep all of my employees working. It would be easy as a business owner if demand fell to just cut back the amount of staff so that I'm okay. But I didn't want to have to do that, you know, with my employees and, and many, well, everyone who had a second job lost their second job who works for us. So we've been doing what we can to give them extra hours to try to make up for some of that. We are also homeschooling our girls while all this is happening. So I feel like I'm still working a ton, but I'm trying to pass off as more than I usually do to our employees to give them more work. And it's probably good for the long run anyway to have more people know how to do more things in the bakery. I asked what does Saturdays look like now? Saturday is really different, but we're using about the same amount of staff. So people who would be working at market, helping a flood of customers, we're divided up into delivery routes. So we all gather in there at six in the morning to start packing. And that's the thing that's new and different and a little stressful is that everything is prepaid, everything is spoken for. <laughs> so you have to make sure you have enough of everything and that you don't have any ugly ones that you have to throw in because that's the last whole wheat loaf. Whereas at farmer's market, it's easy if you get to the end and there's a couple burned ones or something, then you just show them to people and say, well, this is what I have if you want it and I'll give you a dollar or two off. And if you don't want it, I have this other thing, but you, it's not, not as easy to, it feels a little stressful when everybody's committed to what they ordered and they've paid you already. 
not mess up any orders too, because with 70 deliveries and 30 to 40 bakery pickups, it's a lot of orders to get right. So we, we actually consulted with a friend of ours who worked in a packing warehouse and said, how do you do this to make sure that nothing ever gets done wrong? And the answer was simple. Double checking, having a different person double check every bag. Nobody is going to be perfect no matter how careful they are. Muddy Fork is also now participating in a new program called Neighbor Loaves. The Artisan Grain Collaborative is, is an organization in the Midwest. It's headquartered in Chicago, and it connects growers, bakers, distillers, and chefs and customers. And it's trying to build the local or regional grain economy. And it's Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan for now. And the director there came up with an idea right after closures hit and demand at food pantries started to really spike that we could all help out and get our customers to help out. So we have neighbor loaves for sale on our website and you're basically purchasing a loaf that we will bake and then in our case we're delivering them to Mother Hubbard's Cupboard on Tuesdays. So you're sponsoring a loaf and we're doing about 75 to 80 loaves a week and it creates an extra day of work for one of our bakers and it provides a lot of bread. Healthful, whole grain, sourdough, sandwich type loaves that we're dropping off. And it's a time when food pantries are not able to get the same mix of products that they normally get in. I think bread is one of the things that because it's been short in supermarkets, there's not as much of it being donated to food banks and food pantries right now. Helps the people who need food, healthful food, and it, it helps local bakeries in the Midwest that are participating to keep their business up and keep their employees working, and it helps the regional grain growers to keep their demand steady. This is an example of some of the interesting ideas that food producers all over are coming up with as they reimagine what a food system could look like, as we witness this one breaking down. I'm really grateful. I want you want to contribute. Everyone wants to contribute at this time in some way. And bread is what we do. So it's natural that we would want to bake extra bread and donate it. But having the neighbor loaf project allows us to do a lot more than we would if it was just coming all out of our business. I wouldn't be able to make 80 loaves a week and donate them. It would be less than that. So I'm really glad to have the support from the, our customers and our community to be able to do that. It could be one of those, you know, positive things that comes out of coronavirus. It, we won't live in the same world afterwards. And if we can leave some positive changes, yeah. that would be good. That was Eric Shedler of Muddy Fork Bakery. If you're itching to do some baking of your own, check out past episodes where Eric Shedler walks through the steps of baking pita bread, pretzels, and more. Find links to all of those recipes on our website, eartheats.org. Next week, I'll talk you through the steps I follow to make sourdough bread at home, and we'll hear from a miller and a farmer at Janie's Farm and Mill in eastern Illinois. Thanks for tuning in this week, and thank you for supporting this work and this station, WFIU. If you've contributed lately to help this public radio station continue to bring you the news, stories, and music you love, thank you, and we'll see you next week. The Earth Eats team includes Ayoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, Daniel Orr, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. 
Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey. Special thanks this week to Jeff Meese, Eric Shedler, and Anna Muley. Production support comes from Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net. Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. And insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at BillRushInsurance.com. Thank you.